Today I'm reading from uh, Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 43. And uh, for the Black Bibles, it's page 885. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Okay, we are continuing in our series on the resurrection that we picked up or started last week. And, and sort of what we're doing is this. If you could almost imagine yourself in the Easter story, if you could see yourself in those pages at the ends of each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're sort of like those first disciples last week who, who arrived at the tomb, like those women who peeked in and saw that the tomb was empty and are trying to make sense of what this could mean and what it actually happened here. We were sort of last week beginning to ask the question, could it really be that Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead? And we heard the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 give us the resurrection as historical fact. He presented us these facts like Jesus really died. The tomb really was empty. People really said they saw him alive. The world really was changed thereafter. And we said with Paul, that's because it really happened. And there's good reason for us to believe it's so. We want to move from that to sort of consider then why that matters. Almost as if Jesus rose, so what? Right? Why does that matter? But before we do that, and that's where we're going to head from next week on, what we want to do this week is make sure that we're all on the same page as to what it means. What does resurrection mean? Now, for you, as you hear that, you might go, that's, that's easy. That's a no-brainer. It means there's life after death. It means that after you die, if you're a Christian, you go to heaven and spend eternity with him. But I want us to consider again, what does resurrection mean? What do we mean when we say Jesus rose from the dead or confess as we did just a few minutes ago in our creed, we believe in the resurrection? Uh, what did the first people who heard this news believe? What did they understand it to mean? And, and most importantly of all, what do the scriptures say that it means? What do the scriptures mean when it says Jesus rose from the dead? And perhaps you might be surprised, as I was, to see that there might be an ever slow, slight disconnect between what we think and what the scriptures teach. And so we want to hear again today, what does the resurrection mean? To help us consider that, we're looking this morning at Luke 24, verses 36 to 43. So if you've got a Bible, this is the passage Joe just read for us. This is where we'll be for some time. Luke 24, verses 36 to 43. While you turn there, let me turn all of us for a moment to the Lord in prayer. 
Our God, we give you thanks for this time. We pray now that your own Holy Spirit would help our minds to stick through thick things so that we might come on the other end and be rewarded for having considered your word. Pray that you would open our eyes to the good news that is before us in the resurrection of Jesus. And that in these weeks, that you might help us to see this like we've never seen it before, so that we might live and die like never before as well. Come, have impact on us through your word. Make much of Jesus. Everything is for him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Luke 24, verse 36. This is how it starts. As they were talking about these things... Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. So here's what's happening. As they were talking about these things, what things? Luke 24 is the last chapter of Luke. And what's happening there is the news that Jesus rose again has started to spread. And everyone's starting to talk about it. And they're trying to figure out what does the empty tomb mean? Two disciples walked a seven-mile road and had encountered Jesus. They came back. And all of them are talking together about these things. And while they're discussing them, Jesus shows up. And he says, peace to you. Verse 37, but they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. So Jesus shows up. They think something's off here. They're, they think they're seeing a ghost, right? They, they thought they saw a spirit. Verse 38, and he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Now we'll park there for a bit. Why do doubts arise in your heart? We mentioned this last week, but I want to say it again as clearly as I can, that in all four Gospels, the immediate reaction to the resurrection is doubt. The immediate, right away reaction to the resurrection is no way, can't be, uh-uh, right? I want you to know that if you or if someone you know and love struggle with believing the resurrection, you have plenty of company in the pages of scripture that everybody doubted. Everybody went no way. Nobody was expecting the resurrection. Nobody had a worldview that was ready to fit in something like the resurrection. Nobody saw this coming. This took everyone by surprise. Listen, people don't sit up in their coffins. They don't climb out of their pits. They don't walk out of the grave. Everybody knows that. You know that. I know that. They knew that. They knew that. Sometimes we think that, you know, the people in the first century, they were a bit more primitive than us. They're not as educated as we were. They're not as advanced as we are. They certainly don't have the science that we do. They don't have the technology. And so maybe they would be willing to jump on something like the resurrection, whereas we, understandably so, can't. We have difficulties, we'd imagine, that they didn't. Yet that's not true. I want you to hear this. You didn't need microscopes and labs and test tubes to tell you what everybody knew. People don't come back from the dead. Everybody knew that. They were no more thinking about the resurrection than any of us would be as well. The reality is that the folks in the first century were as every bit skeptical and every bit uninclined to believe in the resurrection as we were. Now, let me explain that, because in seeing that, I think we'll understand what the resurrection means. Basically, in the first century world, in the world into which Christianity was born, you had two groups of people. You had the Greeks, and you had the Jews. 
right? You had the Jews or the Gentiles. That's everyone who's not Jewish. And so you had Greek thought and Jewish thought in the day. There's this historian named N.T. Wright who has done some extensive, serious homework on these two groups in the first century to show that neither had a worldview that was ready to accept the resurrection. The guy wrote a 700-page book that I've been trying to have enough English to understand and read through, right? 700 pages to show you, listen, nobody saw this coming. Let's start with the Greeks. If you were talking to the Greeks in the first century, this is what you'd find. They had no problem believing in life after death, but they didn't believe in resurrection. Now, in your mind, if you already are thinking, wait, isn't that the same thing? Then this sermon will be helpful for you because it's not. And hopefully you'll see that in a few minutes. Right? If you're thinking, wait, they believed in life after death. Isn't that what resurrection is? It's not. The, the Greeks had no problem believing in some kind of life after death, but they knew for sure there was no such thing as resurrection. The Greeks had two sort of giants who were the leaders of their thought. This was Homer, not Simpson, think the Greek guy, and Plato. Okay? If the Greeks had a Bible, this would be their Old Testament and New Testament. Old Testament would be Homer. He's the guy who came first. And then later on came this guy named Plato. And these two guys sort of influenced everything they thought. And here's what they said. If you went to Homer, his basic thinking and teaching that all the Greeks subscribed to was this. After you died, your soul might go on to the shadowy underworld where all the dead go, a place called Hades. And this was where you lived out this sort of ghost-like existence. You could poke your finger through you. You were sort of ghosty and wispy and, and there was nothing real about you. You didn't have a good memory at all about the life of earth. Everything was sort of invisible and, and spiritual. It was sort of a state that you could be in. And so for them, they had no problem believing that while your corpse was rotting on the earth, some part of you went on into the afterlife and there lived on in sort of this ghost-like existence. They had no problem with that. But here's what they knew couldn't happen. You couldn't come back from death. That you couldn't do. Death was a one-way street, and there was no other way but to go into death, and nobody came back from death. Death was irreversible, right? It's what everyone knows. You can go and you can move from one stage to another in death. You can go on to be this ghost-like thing, but nobody could come back. No matter how much you love the person, no matter how much you grieve the loss of a loved one, no matter how bereaved you were, you had to get over it because there was no coming back from death. There may have been an afterlife, but there was no resurrection. You could want all day long to wish your loved one would come back. They can't. And then comes Plato. He's sort of the New Testament. And he sort of picks up the ball that, that Homer advanced and carries it a bit forward and says, Listen, not only can you not come back, you wouldn't want to anyway. Here's what Plato said. Plato said there's this strong distinction between that which is physical and that which is spiritual or invisible. Hang with this for a second. He's saying, look, there's a strong distinction between that which you can see and the physical is inferior. It's not as good as the invisible, the spiritual, the soul. That's what really matters. He hadn't read Genesis 1 
where God kept saying, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is very good. He didn't have a theology that said this was good. And so he believed this was something wicked and base. Your appetites and your desires were all things that you wanted to finally be free from. So the good part of you, your invisible soul, could go on to the afterlife. Right? And he drew this stark distinction between that which was physical and bad and that which was immaterial, spiritual, soul, and good. Now, if you want to know how much Plato's thoughts have influenced, you don't have to go any further than us, the church. Because if, if you, for example, think that the guy who works in the church doing spiritual things is doing things much more important than the guy who works in the world doing physical things, that the pastor's job is much more significant than the carpenter's job or the engineer's job or the accountant's job. I want you to know something. You subscribe not to Christianity, but to Plato. That's where we got that from. The, the Jew who's reading Genesis 1 didn't see Sabbath as God's and the rest of the week as the world's. This line between sacred and secular, that's not Christian thought. That's Plato thought. If the, the believer in God was seeing all of his life as under God. So Plato's thinking started to sweep everywhere. And so when you thought that way about death, here's what it meant. It meant that death was not an enemy or a foe, but rather a release so that you could finally be free of this mortal coil. You could finally throw off the prison of your flesh and the good part of you could go on forever. And that's what Plato taught and, and so in it, it's this idea that, listen, you shouldn't fear death. You should embrace death. And, and the idea that the people who tragically die young, that's not a tragedy. It's, it's that the gods wanted them so bad they took them early. And, and you'll notice some of our modern cliches have very ancient roots. When a young person dies, we say things not like God is sovereign, God is good, God is in this. We say things like it's because God wanted them to go up so bad. He wanted them young and early as though death was a friend rather than a foe. And so in that worldview, it was why would you want to come back and take back this prison when the good part of you is finally free? So the Greeks would say this. Not only can resurrection not happen, Homer, even if it could, you wouldn't want it to happen, Plato. Does that make sense? Not only can this thing not happen, even if you wanted it to, it, it shouldn't happen because you shouldn't want it to. What I'm trying to say is that the Greek thought had no room for resurrection. If you went to a Greek and said, listen, listen, we know that people don't come back from the dead, they'd say, you can save your labs and your microscopes. We knew that a long time ago. We, we know you can't come back, and moreover, you wouldn't want to. It's into that world that the first Christians came along and said, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It's into that world that the Christians came along and said, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now hear me. If you told a Greek, listen, Jesus died and his soul went on to be with God in heaven, they would have said, sure, no problem. That's what happens to souls. But if you said to a Greek, Jesus Christ came back, he rose from the dead, 
They would have laughed you off the stage. They would have mocked you. They, they would have had no place for your ideas. And in fact, I want you to see this. That's exactly what happens. In Acts 17, you don't have to turn there now, but in Acts 17, the apostle Paul, who we saw last week, who said, as to one untimely born, Jesus also appeared to me, and so I came to believe in the resurrection. That Paul went from place to place telling everybody he could about Jesus and the resurrection. And guess where he shows up but Athens, Greece. So he shows up in Athens, in Greece, in Acts 17, and he starts to talk some Jewish people about Jesus and about the resurrection, and some of the Greeks listen in, and they're the philosophy type. They love this conversation, and so they butt in, and they say, you, you got to talk to us too. Listen to this in Acts 17. This is verse 18. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. The next verse says, and, and I'm not showing it to you now, but they just love talking all day. That's what the next verse says. They just love philosophy. And so they hear Paul and his teachings, and they go, what is this stuff you're saying? And you hear some of them go, what's this babbler talking about? He seems to be preaching about some foreign divinity. And so he says, we, we want to hear what you have to say. And so Paul starts speaking. And if you read the verses, he says, men of Athens, I, I see you're religious in every way. But here's the thing. The God you don't know, I do know. And he starts declaring God. He talks to them about how God's a creator and God's sovereign, how God's ruling over all things, how we are his offspring and God is our father. And they're nodding their heads with all of it. He even gets to the place where he starts talking about how they need to repent and they're fine. And then he says this. Listen to it in Acts 17 verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, verse 31, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, who's the man? It's Jesus, by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So he says, listen, the day of repentance is here because God appointed a man to come and judge the world, and we know that because God raised this man from the dead. And now listen to how they react. Verse 32. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. Now I want you to notice the immediate reaction. Some were interested and went off with Paul and talked to him further. But the immediate reaction of these Greeks were, you got to be kidding me. They mocked him. They mocked him because they do exactly what you'd expect them to do. These are Homer and Plato's disciples. And so when they heard Jesus rose from the dead, their response was to laugh and say, it can't happen and you wouldn't want it to happen. So why are you talking this nonsense, babbling about this Jesus rising from the dead? All I'm trying to say to you is the folks in the first century had no room in their worldview for resurrection. That's the Greeks. What about the other group, the Jews? Think about what their worldview was like in the first century. What we know about the Jews is they had sort of a, a spectrum of beliefs when it came to the resurrection. You had some who were like the Greeks who thought after you die, you go on to this underworld. They didn't call it Hades, they called it Sheol. 
So if you read in the Old Testament of the first half of your Bibles, you keep seeing my soul is going to go to Sheol. And that's the idea of this world of the dead. It's the, you could poke your finger through you, ghost-like eternity. Yet others who said, no, 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 there is no resurrection. Right? If you've read through the Gospels, you know that Jesus often gets into these fistfights with religious folks. And one of the groups that he fights is the Sadducees. If you've read through the New Testament, you'll remember that the thing that the Sadducees were known for is they kept saying there's no resurrection. In fact, they, they once tried to stump Jesus with this problem they invent to try and show there's no resurrection of the dead. So you've got some spectrum. But by and large, a huge chunk of the Jews did believe in resurrection. They did believe that you could come back. And, and, and mind you, when they were saying resurrection, they weren't just talking about life after death. They were talking about coming back, the U-turn on the one-way street of death. They were saying you could come back because they weren't Plato's disciples. They had Genesis 1. They had, this is good, this is good, this is good. And so when they thought of resurrection, they weren't thinking of some ghost-like place we'll go to. They were saying it's all going to come back. In fact, one of the places that most shaped some of their thought about resurrection was a passage, Ezekiel 37. You don't have to turn there, but let me walk you through what happens in Ezekiel 37. In Ezekiel 37, this prophet named Ezekiel is given this vision of what Israel's like. And what he sees in the vision is a huge valley filled with dry, dead bones. There's bones everywhere, millions of them. And then God shows up to the prophet and he says, son... Can these bones live? And the prophet goes, I don't know. You know, God. You know whether they can live or not. And he says, listen, prophesy to the wind. And basically what he says is call on the wind of God, the breath of God, the spirit of God. And so the spirit begins to flow in this valley. And the most amazing thing happens. These bones start to rattle. And then they start to shake. And suddenly they're flying all over the valley as hip bone gets connected to the thigh bone and so on and so on, right? All of a sudden, all these bones start coming to place. And now you've got a valley with an army full of skeletons. They're just standing there, bones. And then all of a sudden, the spirit comes again. And suddenly, flesh begins to cover all these skeletons. And then the spirit comes again. And suddenly, they're covered with skin. And now you've got this army in the valley of dead corpses. And then almost like Genesis 1, the spirit comes once more and breathes life. <gasps> and this valley of dead bones suddenly has turned into this army of the living. And Israel said, that's what resurrection's like. You know what resurrection is? Resurrection is God's people Israel have been scattered everywhere like dry dead bones. And there's coming a day when God will bring us all back. And, and their hope was, look, we've been under exile. If you know Israel's story, they were promised a land, the promised land. But because of their sin, they had been driven out of the promised land. And now the Babylonians ruled over them and the Assyrians ruled over them. And, and when Jesus was around, the Romans ruled over them. These pagans, these idol worshipers ruled over them. And they longed for God to forgive all their sin, bring them back, Yahweh to rule again, and all of Israel to be brought together brought back from exile, for sin to be done away with, for injustice to be over, for the wrongs to be made right, for their pagan rulers to be overthrown, for Yahweh to be king again. This is what they were hoping for. And their faith was, don't miss this, 
that at the end of the age, Yahweh would pull that off. And that there would be a general resurrection of all of God's people. And it wasn't going to be some poke through you ghost-like eternity. It was going to be the bones came back and the flesh came back and the skin came back and they breathed again. And all God's people would live in the land with no more sin, no more rulers over them, no more injustice. All that was wrong was made right and they would be God's people. So if you asked a Jew... Do you believe in resurrection? He would say, yes, but let's be very clear. Resurrection happens when? At the end of the age. And it happens to who? To all of God's people. They wouldn't have laughed at you if you talked about resurrection like the Greeks did. No, they thought it could happen, but they believed it was going to happen at the end of the age to all of God's people. It happens at the end to everyone. And it's into that world that the first Christians came and said, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. If you told a Jew, listen, don't miss this. If you told a Jew, Jesus Christ died and his soul went on to be with God, they would have said, sure it did. That's what happened to all of the people. Abraham, David, Isaac, Jacob, their souls are all with God in heaven. They would have had no problem at all. But if you told a Jew, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, they wouldn't have laughed at you like the Greeks. They would have just been completely confused about what you're talking about. What do you mean? In fact, let me show you that too in the scriptures. The Greeks you saw in Acts 17. Let me show you what the Jewish response would have been in Mark 9. In Mark 9, Jesus takes some of his disciples. These are Jews, good Jewish men. He shows them a mountain where he, the scriptures call, is transfigured before them. He sort of peels back glory and shows them what he's like. And then he tells them as they're coming down from the mountain not to tell anyone what they saw until the resurrection. Listen to this, Mark 9, verse 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And listen to their response, verse 10. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. You see that? They didn't laugh. They didn't go, ha, resurrection. They, they sort of scratched their head and said, what does he mean? Because here's what they're thinking. They're thinking, Jesus has just told us not to tell anyone about this until the resurrection. But if the resurrection has happened, that means we've all rised from the dead. And who are we supposed to tell? Everyone is going to be alive, and, and why am I going to evangelize then? Who am I going to witness to? The resurrection has happened. That means Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are walking around. Who am I supposed to tell at that point? And they question to themselves, what did he mean in this rising from the dead? You see, if you told a Jew Jesus rose from the dead, he would have said, what are you talking about? If the resurrection happened, where's Abraham? Where's Isaac? Where's Jacob? Where's David? Where's Moses? Where's all the saints? They would have said, is injustice over? Is sin done away with? Why are the Romans still here? Why isn't exile over? Why isn't all the wrong been made right? Why isn't Yahweh king again? What on earth do you mean the resurrection has happened? What do you mean Jesus rose from the dead? Resurrection, don't you know, happens at the end of the age to everyone, not in the middle of human history 
to one man. Resurrection, don't you know, happens at the end of the age to everyone, to all God's people and the saints, not in the middle of human history here with one man. Friends, here's the point I'm laboring to make. It's that if you go back to the first century, and if you were to tell the people then, the Greeks and the Jews, in 33 AD, listen, we have a really hard time believing in the resurrection in 2014, they would have told you, stand in line. So do we. And we didn't need your labs or your microscopes or your test tubes to tell us. So do we. They would have told you to stand in line because nobody believed this. This is why N.T. Wright has rightly summarized all of this in saying this one sentence. He says, Christianity was born into a world where its central claim was known to be false. I want you to hear that again. Christianity was born into a world where its central claim was known to be false. Everybody knew resurrection doesn't happen. That's why if you read modern stuff, 2014, the disciples just made this stuff up. That's because you, we haven't studied any of this to know they would have never thought to make this up. Nobody bought into this. Not the Jews, not the Greeks. The Greeks would have said it couldn't happen and you wouldn't want it to. The Jews would have said it can't happen like the way you're saying it did. It happens at the end to everyone. Nobody bought this. And yet, the most impossible thing happens. And that is that weeks after, you have thousands and thousands, no exaggeration, tens of thousands of Jews and Greeks overnight embracing the resurrection. You have thousands of Jews and Greeks overnight embracing the resurrection. The one claim nobody believed could happen, you had thousands of them saying, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And, and we should not ignore what a monumental shift that is. We should not gloss over what a seismic shift that is. For someone to do that overnight. Uh, an analogy that I read, if you think about a political friend of yours, right? Someone who's really into politics. You think about the hardcore conservative or the really staunch liberal. In your mind, you can probably think of a friend. You, you know the one, the Democrat that's a really strong Democrat or the Republican that's a real strong Republican. He's got the signs in his yard of who to vote for. And not just, you know, the presidential election, down to the district nobody even knew existed. That guy. He's got the bumper stickers. He's got the entire platform memorized. He knows what the party line is on all the issues and all the agendas. Right? He, he, that, that guy who, who drives the bus around to make sure everybody votes on voting day. Imagine like that he switches and, and he becomes Republican who is Democrat or Democrat who is Republican. And suddenly his view on everything changes. Now what you'd expect on gun control or foreign policy or the economy or abortion or same-sex marriage, all of it overnight just like that switches. I mean, if you know a guy like that, you know I can't even imagine that happening. And yet that pales in comparison to a Greek saying that this thing that was once a prison is actually something good, worthy of resurrection, and that there is a U-turn on the one-way street of death. To a Jew saying 
that the resurrection, we didn't know it, but actually began with one man in the middle of history who commenced the resurrection rather than at the end of the age with all people. It is a seismic thing that Jews and Greeks in the first century should have proclaimed Jesus Christ rose from the dead. How did that happen? How did they switch like that? It's because they saw him. And they heard the testimony of those who did see him. And Jesus powerfully convinced the folks who had no room in their worldview for resurrection. In fact, that's what you read in the story, right? Look again at verse 37 and read further with me. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? And then listen to what he says. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, this is my favorite, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Listen, Jesus is laboring, going out of his way to show you, listen, no, 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 this is not life after death. This is not some kind of spirit that you could poke your finger through. There's some kind of magical life after death. No, 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 this is the U-turn on the one-way street of death. This is resurrection. And when they're thinking he's a ghost, he goes out of his way to show them, no, 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 that's not what resurrection is. Resurrection is you came back in a body. Resurrection is that this body comes back. I I want you to think of this. If you've confessed, as we have today, we believe in the resurrection. Would you, would you turn that over and over in your mind again and, and consider what it is you really believe? Because I was surprised to think and realize I, I actually believe more like the Greeks than what the scriptures are really saying. When I think of resurrection, I think of floating to some place out there. When you think resurrection, do you think flesh and bones? That one caught me. Do you think resurrection and think flesh and bones because Jesus says how can you think I'm a spirit does a spirit have flesh and bones like you see that I have I never thought that that in the life to come if I pressed on my fingers I'd feel bone like that this thing is real not like my hands would just sort of collapse into each other flesh and bone when you think resurrection do you think of all the senses working See my hands, touch my feet, hear my voice. I have a mind that's fully working. This is not some kind of dreamy state where you don't, no, no, no. This is Jesus saying, I know who you are. I haven't forgotten. I remembered. I came out of death on the other side, back to this world, and I remember you. My mind is working. My voice is working. My fingers are here. There's flesh and bone. There's skin you could touch. And then my favorite of all, when you think resurrection, do you think food? I love that. Not metaphor. Yes, the kingdom of God will be like a great feast. And and these ghosts are sitting around pretending to eat. Do you think food? Like that what awaits us is more real than what we have today. I love that he said, do you have something to eat? And they gave him broiled fish and he ate it. And it didn't float somewhere in the middle. 
When I think resurrection now, I think broiled fish. Because that's what's coming. A, a real kingdom in which God's people really exist. You should, nobody has to see it. You should press your fingers together and go, this is real. This is what resurrection's like. It's concrete. Nobody's going to poke their finger through you. It's more real than this world, not less. Now, is this a, a transformed, glorified body? Absolutely. And we'll spend a whole sermon talking through it, right? Jesus shows up in a room where the doors are locked. How does that happen? This body has properties we have no idea about, but I want you to hear this. It's a real body. It's glorious. It's, it's resurrected. It's real. Have you thought through that the resurrection that awaits those who are in Christ is a concrete future reality? I, I, I love that, thinking through that. ABC found out that we were doing this series and started a whole show called Resurrection because <laughs> that's how important we are. I don't know if it's a good show or not. I watched the first two episodes. I don't, I don't think it's going to be good, but... In the two episodes I saw, you know what I love? The show is basically these, these people who are dead come back and come back resurrection. Not life after death, floaty, come back. So this boy dies and 32 years later, he wakes up as an 11-year-old in China and his parents have gone on to age and he comes back. What I loved about the show is when the scenes come, when these come back, you know what the first thing they do is? They, they reach and touch. Because that's what you'd expect in resurrection. They've got to grab the face and hold and, and, and make sure this thing is real. Because that's what you do in resurrection. That's why as soon as Mary saw Jesus, she went to grab his feet. Because, because if this thing is real, then all of it is wonderfully real. This is what the Christians were claiming when they said Jesus Christ rose from the dead. They were saying that what has not happened to any human being has happened to Jesus. I want you to hear that again because you might miss that. What has not happened to any human being has happened to Jesus. No one else had ever been resurrected. Did people have life after death before Jesus? Sure. Because Abraham's up there, and Isaac is there, and Jacob's there, and David's there. They're all there. There's life after death. That happened before Jesus. But no one ever made the U-turn on the one-way street of death. No one had ever come back. If you know your Bible, you'll go, what about Lazarus? L Lazarus was a preview. It's, it's like showing you a, a light bulb as I'm trying to explain the sun. Because you know what happened to Lazarus? The brother died again. He's the only guy to have two funerals. But Jesus came back to never die again. Raised in a body that could never be pierced with death again. Never be touched with the grave again. He rose from the dead physically. What could not happen according to the Greeks. And you didn't want it to happen. What wouldn't happen according to the Jews happened to Jesus Christ. This is why the scriptures in Colossians will say he is the firstborn of the dead. He's the one who paved the way. He's the one who first exited the womb of the dead and came out. He's the firstborn of the dead. The grave can't hold God's people anymore because the firstborn of the dead has come. This is why Corinthians will say he's the first fruits of the resurrection. 
That there's this harvest of resurrection waiting to happen to all God's people. And Jesus is like the first crop that came out. And he's the picture of what resurrection will be like. Let me just give you one takeaway and we'll be done. Seven Mile Road. This means that the hope that we have who are in Christ is not just that there's life after death in some floaty place we fly off to. It's the hope of resurrection. It's that because he made the U-turn, we will all make the U-turn. It's that when you go to the funeral of a loved brother or sister in Christ and you stare over the casket, it's not just the hope this person is in a better place now. Yes, that's a great hope. Amen. The scripture says we're absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. Amen. That's glorious. It's true, but it's just part one. Because part two is, and then he will return, and when he returns, this soul will be reunited with this body raised in glory, and God's people will breathe and live forevermore. And we ought not stop at part one and miss the glory of part two. Resurrection is not just life after death, it's the U-turn. It's that when you look at the loved one in the casket and you see that body, it's not just I hope we go to some place where I might bump into their invisible soul, it's I'm going to see this person again. I'm going to recognize this person and everything there will be even more glorious than it was here. Our future is not as the Greek said, this witless spirit sort of wandering through the underworld. Our hope is not that we will just fly away to some place where we'll be turned into chubby babies that sit on clouds playing harps. Our hope is a real resurrection. I want to read you one last quote and then we'll be done. This is from a man named Randy Alcorn. He writes this book called Heaven. He says this. He says, we do not desire to eat gravel. Why? Because God did not design us to eat gravel. Trying to develop an appetite for a disembodied existence in a non-physical heaven is like trying to develop an appetite for gravel. No matter how sincere we are and no matter how hard we try, it's not going to work, nor should it. What God made us to desire and therefore what we do desire if we admit it is exactly what he promises to those who follow Jesus Christ, a resurrected life, in a resurrected body, with a resurrected Christ on a resurrected earth. Our desires correspond precisely to God's plans. It's not that we want something so we engage in wishful thinking that what we want exists. It's the opposite. The reason we want it is precisely because God has planned for it to exist. I want you to just hear that. If you trusted in Christ, maybe there's a part of you, if you're honest, you go, when I think of heaven, I'm really scared I'm going to be bored back to death, Right? I'm floating on a cloud, and we're singing songs, and it's, you could poke through me. I'm, I just can't get psyched about heaven. And the resurrection is saying, listen, friends, what awaits you is, is broiled fish. What the Greeks said couldn't happen. What the Jews said wouldn't happen. What we say didn't happen, happened. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and those who are in Christ will share in a resurrection like his. Let's pray.